So they really help us push boundaries. They're great risk takers. They, I think, really develop our critical thinking and all of that sort of bundle of skills and skill sets, which, you know, show me a business leader today, Shirley, that doesn't want to upskill, shall we say, their leadership team in relation to all of those skills. Hello, this is Shirley Kavna, and you're very welcome to episode three of the Leadership Discoveries podcast. And it gives me great pleasure to introduce Ethna Harley, marketing leader at Accenture, fellow board member of Music Network Ireland, lover of the arts and champion of diversity and inclusion in all its forms. Ethna, you are very welcome. I'm delighted that you could spend some time with us here today. Thank you very much, Shirley. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. So can we just maybe start off, Ethna, by can you give the listeners just a sense of your journey into marketing, how, how you landed in this place and what motivated you to actually pursue this career path? Great question. The truth is my glamorous cousin. OK. <laughs> um, who was a marketing leader at the time and I, you know, she saw something in me, I know, and felt that I could have a very good career and life and a fulfilling one, I think, if I pursued um, marketing as a profession. She she was right. She has been correct. I think marketing as a profession or as a discipline is a really good one if you are a curious soul, mm-hmm. because so much of what we do ultimately is around um I suppose you know that question of why is an audience going to be interested in something uh, why does it matter etc so yeah that's sort of how I got involved and I've always worked in uh services and generally professional services in my life so the sort of corporate space in that sector is something I know very well has it been all you expected to be Esther? It's given me an awful lot, you know, and I know we're going to have conversations around the arts, et cetera, and that really is is my passion. So it certainly has been a platform or a landscape which I've really been able to dabble in and enjoy the truth. I think like all roles and like all professions, you know, there are parts of it that um, are not as exciting as others. But, you know, I think one has to accept that. Uh, but overall, yes, it certainly has delivered. Excellent. No regrets. Then. So... <laughs> Let's talk about the arts. And and I know we both share a lot of the arts and Mm. culture, and that's actually how we met in the first place. That's right. Um, And we both appreciate the importance of corporate support and philanthropy. So can we talk a little bit about the value and of the importance of corporate supporting the arts? And why should any corporate leader who's listening in at the moment consider diverting some of their funds, some of their sponsorship towards the arts, towards culture? Great question. It's the right thing to do is the ultimate answer that I that I would give, because I think the pandemic actually was a, a very uh, gave a very positive outcome for the arts as a sector or as, as an area in that we have all realised how much we value art and what art means to us in our lives. And I think um, during that time, it was we all turned, whether it was to music or to film we realised how much we missed live music and uh, all that art and art forms gives us. So I think corporate supporting and being patrons of the art is actually really, really important because it is something that is very important for society and for societal benefit. And, you know, if I could argue, I would love to potentially argue that, you know, patronage of the arts is something that perhaps organisations would like to consider as part of their ESG portfolio. 
supporting their own community, giving work to artists. Because one thing that I think an awful lot of people are not aware of is actually how many successful artists and names whom we would all know, in fact, you know, earn a very um, small living and really do struggle, like really do struggle. And I think when people actually hear of these stories and know of that, you know, it bothers them. And back to your point of whether they could divert some of their funds to supporting artist organizations, artists themselves or arts organizations. But I really do think that what you get back from engaging the arts really is far more than what you might give. Um, And I think that comes from many perspectives. I mean, truly, I have been very fortunate and worked on and delivered a number of um, arts initiatives over over the years. And the artists with whom I've engaged truly are some of the brightest, smartest and sharpest minds that I have ever worked with. And working with these people truly does, you know, jolt new thinking for yourselves, helps you look at problems in a different way therefore gives answers to challenges in a different way. I have found myself negotiating with artists, you know, moving um, goalposts a little bit to be able to get to the same outcome. I truly have learned so much from them. So they really help us push boundaries. They're great risk takers. They, I think, really develop our critical thinking and all of that sort of bundle of skills and skill sets, which, you know, show me a business leader today, Shirley, that doesn't want to you know, upskill, shall we say, their leadership team in relation to all of those skills. And immediately I'm thinking of um, one time I really enjoyed, I was at an event, I think it was actually in UCD, and that amazing conductor, Colin Brophy, uh, was speaking and he was talking about leadership through gesture. I was like, I just love that topic. And I brought Colin down to one of our senior executives off-site conferences and he spoke about leadership through gesture. And, you know, he really helped us all think differently around what leadership is and how you demonstrate it. Yeah, just explain that a little bit more. I've never heard of that, I have to say. Yeah. You know, what, what, what were the messages? What was he actually giving out? If you think of a conductor, he is bringing a group of people along without saying one word, bringing them all into the same direction and, you know, improving the performance of where it was when they rehearsed, you know, to the day of, of the concert or whatever. And sometimes it's those small things. It's about your presence. It's about setting your expectations. It could be the small things like being on time, how you show up, you know, the glance of an eye, a physical gesture, etc. that brings people along. And I think it is often those softer things is what really, really matters. And, you know, he did an exercise with us at Camera where we were just clapping along. And guess what? A group of people through his guidance, through not one word, came together as one and delivered something. The arts, in my view, helps us make sense of the world. I think it is an enabler to addressing either complex issues. Uh, It can, you know, kind of tease those things out if you're working with an artist. So I don't know, for example, if you are doing an employee engagement campaign internally or an employer brand campaign and you're trying to tell your own story, for example, Normally, a marketer would write a brief in relation to that and go to your normal sort of corporate agency kind of to help you there. But you could consider commissioning, you know, a photographer or um, a filmmaker to document who you really are, whether it's a day in the life or could just be through, you know, beautiful stills of photography that really will convey something much deeper 
there's so much research now done in relation to what music and other art forms does to neural pathways, etc. And I, the science is, is is emerging and beginning to help us understand, isn't it? How, how all these kind of art forms work. So they're just some of the general ideas, but obviously there are hard experiences, you know, from brand experiences that you might want to create and where, you know, working with an artist can, I think, give you something a little bit more meaningful than just a sponsorship of something else. Yeah, it, it's interesting, just as you're talking there, I'm kind of uh, reminded of two examples, actually, that, that have only been prompted since you've, you were actually talking about the orchestra example, where um, I have heard of senior teams who, uh, as part of their training, have par participated in orchestras um, sitting in the orchestra and hearing all this cacophony of noise, when it all comes together, you've got this absolutely beautiful music. And again, it's understanding that, you know, it's how my piece fits into this bigger piece to create something, you know, that actually works together very, very well. And there's sort of yeah. lots of these interesting lessons, I think, that can come through, come through the art. Yeah. And I think, you know, to be to think about sort of more tangible kind of initiatives that are so have been so successful, which are examples of art and business working together. Commissioning, you know, is mm. such a brilliant opportunity for an organization or indeed a state, a country um, or others or an academic institution to create something that was never here before yeah. that is truly their own and um, that again is a response to a brief and enables the organization to to have that that entity whatever it is that art form and that be identi identified as theirs and uniquely theirs and therefore it conveys who they are i mean an example would be isn't it state street who commissioned the fearless girl mm -hmm. that beautiful small statue yeah. Um, standing but what that you know that's a piece of art that mm. conveys so much the small size of her in the big city of New York yeah a very powerful piece of commissioning done by a financial services institution that you know has their name associated helps us understand that they're obviously interested in the advancement of women etc but you know helps us then begin conversations around that and a recent commission that I experienced myself and really was taken by, I was at an honorary conferring in DCU um, sometime before Christmas of uh, Rosaline Blair, fabulous woman. I'd never been to a conferring ceremony before in, in DCU. I was so taken by the anthem, the D, what's known as the, I think it's known as the DCU anthem. It was a beautiful academic procession as all of the, the you know, mm -hmm. they were all coming in in their beautiful gowns. It was so colourful, but this most beautiful music was playing. And um, I know Breen McCraw well, who I reckoned was the president mm -hmm. at the time. I know Dara too. And um, I was asking, I said, where, where's the story on that piece? And that was a commission. So Breen commissioned Sean Davey to write an absolutely gorgeous piece. He wanted something stirring. And this beautiful piece of music was was created and crafted. And it was it really hit me. And it's the DCU anthem. I will for, forever remember that. Mm -hmm. It's played at every conferring. You know, just another example of, of a great use but of art. Fantastic that. example, actually. And, you know, it, it kind of brings me nicely on, I have to say, to something else I want to talk to you about, um, because I remember back in 2016, I think it was, I was at um, an International Women's Day Festival and I remember it was the unveiling um, of, uh, of a particular art installation that I have to say, I just I thought it was absolutely amazing at the time. And then I find out that actually you were involved in the creation of this, which was the Women on Walls initiative highlighting incredible women so Ethna can you just take us back to the start of that how did something like that come about um, and just give the listeners just a, a bit of an oversight of, of what it was 
Oh, my, my favorite topic, Shirley. That, that's a very easy mm -hmm. question. So it is an interesting one, though, from a business perspective. So myself and my dear friend, Michelle Cullen, who leads our inclusion diversity at Accenture, among other things, we're, attend we're at a meeting in the Royal Irish Academy on Dawson Street. And we were there because we wanted to partner with the Academy because we were on a quest to hire the best doctoral postgraduates to, to get them to work at Accenture in our what was to be becoming our new centre for innovation. We had a fantastic meeting. Honestly, one of those meetings where, you know, we can really work with these people. We're going to do great things. It'll be a really great way for us to hire talent with Pori Dempsey. And they were, I was thinking, you know, this hugely, you know, old institution, 230 years old, um, but it was so contemporary, it was so modern in its thinking and so, so advanced. They had a female chief executive, they had a female president, everything was wonderful. So Pork said, would you like a tour of the building? I said, thank you so much. So we had a tour of the building in their beautiful reception rooms on, on Dawson Street. And I was like, this is fabulous, the history that's here. And it suddenly struck me, I was looking at these beautiful portraits that are on the walls and not one of them was of a woman. And I did, it was a real kind of aha moment. And I voiced, I, not really loudly, but I voiced out loud, there are no women on the walls. Where are the women? So we had a bit of a conversation, not a big deal. Off we went. But the next day, Pori Dempsey sent me an email and he said, how about Accenture commissioning a group portrait um, of current um, scientists placing women on the walls of the Royal Irish Academy for the first time in history. I mean, I was blown away by the idea. I didn't think about it. I thought it was wonderful. I could see the brand building opportunity. We could call it Women in Wall to be fabulous. But one thing that didn't sit right with me was that it wasn't telling that if we just did that group portrait of kind of current women, it wasn't telling the true story. And that's what was bothering me because when I saw all those men on the wall, I was like, where are the stories of the women that came before that are and were members of, of the academy? So after a period of time, we, we came to an agreement that we would look at commissioning portraits of the first four female female members of the Royal Irish Academy, as well as the group portrait, where the magic is, is in that group portrait, which was called, which ended up being called Eight Scientists by, by Blaise Smith. I engaged Business to Arts uh, to get a sense of possibly what the cost of the project might be. Um, and unlike my normal modus operandi, I kind of held the idea uh, for an appropriate time. And uh, one day our country managing director, Alistair Blair, just asked me if I had any ideas to do a commemorative project for the, the for the 2016 centenary uh, to advance the STEM women in STEM agenda. I couldn't believe the question. And the rest is history. And, and you just happen to have one in your pocket. I know. You said, well, this is one I prepared earlier. Exactly. Um, can you tell us a little bit about some of the women that actually featured um, in that project? Yeah, well, I suppose my favourite, um, because I, I did get an opportunity to, to, to meet her a number of times, was um, Lydia Lynch who um, is an immunologist and was a single mother at 16. It was through the encouragement, actually, of her friends in school that encouraged her to go back to school and to complete her leaving certificate, which she did. And then she went on, on to college and she was extremely successful um, lecturing, I think it was in Trinity, over the years and had a lab as well, the Lynch Lab in Harvard. Um, it's absolutely amazing. She has brought out incredible research around T cells, I think it is. So in, in uh, all around both obesity and uh, research that's really advancing our understanding of treatments for cancer. But Lydia has just like in the past month or so um, been appointed as a full professor to Princeton. I mean, I just think that is just phenomenal. I'm so, so proud of her as an Irish woman. She's absolutely phenomenal. And then um, as we used to affectionately call them, the dead 
uh, the first four female members of the academy. I suppose I was Sheila Tinney. I was really drawn to Sheila because I suppose I knew her son, Hugh Tinney, is a beautiful mm. um, pianist. You know, Sheila was an incredible mathematician. In fact, actually, she uh, was awarded a scholarship, and that might be the quite correct term for it, but with the DIAS to Princeton as well. So she was hanging around with the likes of Einstein there and Schrodinger and other like incredible mathematicians. But her story, like it's really sad to see how slow it was for her to be eventually appointed a full professor when she came back to UCD just because she was female and how, you know, really these women were were almost airbrushed out of history. And the stories, the artists uh, really had to do so much research. And in some cases, there were extremely few photographs, Shirley, of those women. Yeah, but they're all incredible academics um, in their own life. What I think was great, going back to sort of storytelling about women and walls that the the team in Accenture have done over the years is that we we created a lot of assets around the the subjects in women and walls. And then we went on to do it, as you know, the Royal Irish Academy and then at DCU. And in fact, it was something we thought about at the launch way back in in, in 2016. And I'm proud to say that it, it now exists, is that there's actually a portal run by the Department of Education where school teachers can go in and get access to, you know, kind of little packs that they can use with their students um, to, to bring the stories of those incredible subjects into the classroom and, and make those role models even more visible. I mean, it was very impactful. I mean, it was very impactful for me. I mean, I, I could see the, the passion that you have for the project yeah. as well. And, you know, when you think about it, 2016, and it was probably it was probably early enough when we were actually talking and sort of putting forward the whole concept of women in STEM and looking for mm. the role models. And, and what great mo- role models, I have to say, just listening yeah. to you talk yeah. about them. Amazing women. Yeah. Do you, and I, I know you've just talked about, you know, some of the, you know, the further activities. Do you think it had other impacts? You know, do you think it impacted on organisations even in terms of thinking about this connection with the arts? I mean, at the end of the day, we you could say we just commissioned portraits. So we just basically got a couple of paintings. But I think, as I may have said to you before, and this really is true, the amount of men that came in to the conversation around the lack of visibility of women mm. truly was huge. I mean, let's be honest, a lot of the areas around equality and inclusion, they can be kind of difficult conversations. And people, some people truly just, they kind of don't know what to say. They they want things to change and they kind of don't know where to start and to have that conversation. And I think it's the conversations that matter and the thinking is what's going to bring about bring about change. But actually, the pieces of art were an enabler into that conversation, into that difficult conversation. And going back to did it have other change? I mean, yes, many other portraits of women have since been commissioned in other institutions and on our walls. Beautiful busts in Trinity, as, as I'm sure you're well familiar with, they came about and many, many other, you know, initiatives. And, you know, I'm also uh, reminiscing. One of the things I love to see every year at graduation time um, in the Royal College of Surgeons, you see a lot of the female graduates with their beautiful gowns and then will go back into that gorgeous room in the mm. Royal College of Surgeons that faces onto St. Stephen's Green to get a photo of themselves behind those huge portraits of the women because that's where they did their exam. And for so many years, women, and they said, I went in for an interview in X institution or whatever, and they were surrounded by these men. I mean, nothing wrong with having men on the walls. Yeah, we yeah. want men on the walls, but just bringing better representation is ultimately what yeah. it's about. Yeah, and I think those role models are so important. Some recent research I've been involved in in terms mm. of the whole area of STEM, it's finding the role models for women and finding enough 
role models, you know, where almost cluster groups. So it's not just the one person that we're seeing, you know, more and more people who can actually, you know, be representative of a wider group. I think you're so right. And I think it's a diversity of role models is very yeah. important. Like I truly, truly do. I mean, I'd love to see, you know, a portrait of Sinead Burke, the amazing, you know, um, expert on on uh, all things inclusion and and herself a little person and you know people of color etc like we have to mm. we have to go the hallway it shouldn't yeah. it shouldn't just be women on the walls going back to the issue of stem absolutely i don't know if you saw the i wish um event that was on at the rds was it last week um there but there were 3000 you know in person i'm sure there was a virtual uh, element to that event as well but they they've just they're an incredible organization and are really making role models visible and yeah. the stats you know around women in stem they're, they're still way too weak i mean they're they're generally like less than 30 percent representation so we still have a long long way to go and i think you know a bit back to that feeling i had in the royal irish academy is that it is systemic it runs really deep i think it starts with the bedtime stories when we're reading our books to our children not even just in the kitchen it has to start as young as that and I also think with regard to STEM, that's why I'm really proud of that initiative with, with the teachers is I think, you know, we as an industry need to step up, don't we? We we really need to, to put our money where our mouth is and take part in these initiatives. But also I think the model of sort of career guidance or about, you know, in schools where we are, that infrastructure possibly could, could be looked at in other ways. Yeah. And I think just to your point around, you know, uh, teachers particularly is making sure that they have the skills that they need. Uh, yeah, and the understanding that they need in order yeah. to encourage, you know, uh, kids to come through into these fields. And as you say, it's not just gender, it's, you know, yeah. all underrepresentative groups. And there is like, again, in fairness to, to, to commend industry, there is a programme, I don't want to be blowing Accenture's trumpet again, but we started with the 30% club, I don't know if you're aware of it, yes. an, inter an internship programme for the teachers of tomorrow. And like, it's such a simple premise, but it works. So we're placing trainee teachers into technology workplaces so that they can actually convey in the classroom what what it means to work in analytics Excellent. or what it means to work in a or indeed what it works to work in you know analytics and marketing or whatever mm -hmm. so they've got real experience yeah and i think there are some of the interventions that we definitely need so people so teachers particularly can see it in its real form um, and I know that Microsoft are doing some great work as well with their DreamSpace initiative. So that's right, it's you know, fabulous. Yeah, yeah, we're we're definitely seeing traction in the whole area, which it, which is great. And you know, it's, it's interesting. I think we we've now drifted into the whole area of technology, the 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 area of uh, generative AI, um, all of this really really interesting space. And I'm just interested from your perspective, as as someone in the realm of marketing as well, can can you? Just articulate some of your feelings, let's say, around how um, advanced technologies, generative AI are, are even changing what you're doing. What, what are your feelings about it? In a nutshell, it's something I really welcome, truly. And I think we have faced so many technological uh, changes in my career alone. Um, I think the best way to approach these things is to get stuck in and, and to embrace them. I really, really do. And it's something I'm doing actively myself um, and indeed asking every, almost everybody I meet, what tools are you using yourself? Because they are accessible, right? And I think there is a lot of fear and there's a feeling of we have to have everything right before we can even dabble and an experiment. And I think it is being deployed at such pace that I think that's a very, very dangerous strategy. 
uh, for an individual. You know, I think you will get left behind, but indeed uh, as an organization. I think one of the great things from a marketing perspective is that, you know, it's leveling the playing field hugely, particularly for smaller organizations who would previously not have had a marketing budget or access to marketing budget. So they can use these Gen AI tools like writer.com and Midjourney is an image generation um, Gen AI platform as well, where it will be available. Smaller organizations will be able to, you know, get involved in content content generation at scale in a much uh, more cost effective way. Now, obviously, with that comes great responsibility, as we all know. And I think that's where I suppose the greatest concern I would have for generative AI is how, you know, compliance with regulatory frameworks cross borders and internationally, because everything we do, you know, has a global impact and balancing the need for regulation with innovation and the, you know the opportunity opportunity to innovate at scale like that's a tricky 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 space people with bigger much bigger brains than i have and in working in very important institutions will solve those problems but i think you know we in the industry must work collaboratively and in partnership with government and other institutions that are looking at the guardrails and safety standards i mean i saw an article there the other day where you know, some of the big tech companies who run these major AI tools, generative AI um, models are working with the British government. And, you know, they were around, so they were submitting essentially their product and asking the government to sort of give a sort of a safety check on them, which is great. I think that that's happening. But then the, the pace was too slow for industry in which government was responding. Like, again, understandable, but we do need to navigate those things, don't we? I think there is a sense that this is bigger than all of us. So we really must um, pitch in. But I think, you know, uh, let's use it as, as a collaboration tool and not be afraid. Is there anything, do you say, when you look at leaders, even within, you know, close to you, within your own yeah. organisation as they're coming through, is there anything that you're saying they need to have more of this or they need to have more of that? Have you any hopes or fears even, let's say, for that generation of leaders coming through? What I see as an opportunity and something that I see as a positive is that it's leveling the playing field in a way, you know, it's going to be harder to differentiate, potentially harder to differentiate yourself as a leader and to stand out because actually the access to analysis, which we didn't have before, we had access to knowledge on like, tell me, so Google would do that for you. But the, the you know, a generative AI will give you the analysis and will give you insight and in that way. But I do think I think it is the skills around critical thinking, collaboration, navigating problems, etc. I think those are the skill sets that are going are more important than ever in business. Like I truly, truly do. There, I think there are going to be lots of new roles, lots of new roles that are going to be created, and industries and business models that will come from all of this. And to be continuously learning and have a growth mindset, et cetera, is something we all know. But as leaders, we really better, you know, get on this train and start understanding and using generative AI ourselves. Like it's, it, there's too much to play for. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's, it's almost getting to that place where I don't necessarily have to have deep expertise in it, but I do need to know the capability. And as you say, um, those guardrails that need to be employed 
to make sure that we keep people safe as well because there is a whole ethical dimension to all of this no no absolutely and you know it has to have a human-centered principle at, at the heart of everything and the governance and ethics um, and responsible um, governance like absolutely must be deployed I mean you know the tools can hallucinate yes. like, that's kind of frightening yeah like and it is like I, I know I'm not calling out the negatives because We've had big challenges before, but these are particularly complex. These are particularly complex. And that's where I do feel that it really is vitally important that as technology industry, governments and, you know, luminaries or academics, that we work together um, because it'll take us all down or we'll all rise, yeah. I think, you know. Yeah, very good point, Edna. To bring our conversation to a close, when you reflect back on your own career and your career as a leader are, are there any big moments for you that you think who've that have defined what you are today you know in terms of they could have been other leaders that really you know provided you with opportunity or whatever or, or moments in your career that you can say you know what that was really a big lesson for me that's kind of shaped me a lot in terms of where i am today is there anything that you can look back on that and say that I can think of lots of moments in my career at, you know, things we've done and things that we've yeah. done together. I mean, I, it's funny, I'm recalling one of the, the privileges that one has as a marketing leader is that you get very, very close to the business leaders whom you serve. And at the end of the day, you're helping them manage together. You're managing, I should say, that you're managing their reputation of your organization and indeed often their personal brand and there have been a couple of times in my life uh, in my working life that a senior leader might you know thank me very sincerely after them doing something that was like incredibly important or just said you know you really have become my confidant and I really appreciate that and I'm sharing that story in regard to that I think as communications professionals we we have a great responsibility and I think with that we have great opportunity whether it's, you know, to showcase how the arts can help to build a brand or build your employee experience or create an amazing atmosphere at a client event or whatever it is, or indeed whether it's in the deployment of AI, you know, and how we manage deep fakes, et cetera. So I think as a profession, it's it, it's a great profession in, in that way because it is about communications and that's at the heart of so much of what we all do. That's a great point uh, to finish off on, Ethna. It has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I know our conversation has been wide ranging. When we started off before we went live on this, we were saying, let's just see where this takes us. So um, we, we've covered lots of really interesting things. And thank you very much indeed. And um, as always, an absolute pleasure, Ethna. Thank you. You're so welcome, Shirley. Thanks for having me. And I want to thank you, our listeners, too. I suspect you've come from very different parts of the globe and from within different industries also. And I hope that you have found the discussion as insightful and as thought provoking as I did. By the way, if you'd like to contact me, you can do that on LinkedIn or on ShirleyKavanagh.com. To our listeners, I hope this has been as useful to you as it has been for me. 